Um, if you guys can, join me in First uh, Peter. We will be continuing our series, um, Living Like an Exile. Uh, and today's particular sermon will be called Persevering Exiles. We'll be continuing where uh, Pastor Ryan left off. And I just want to encourage you, if you have not heard the last sermon, to please go back and listen to it. Excellent sermon. It is the setup for the whole book of First Peter. Um, and just something I want to put in your mind um, is that we will face challenges as we pass through this world, but we are guided and held together by the enduring uh, faith and word of God because God is directing us to a place that we will eventually call home, um, and that is heaven. I just want to, as you guys are turning there, ask you this question. This is a challenge I put to myself before I even started studying for this book um, by a raise of hand. Who plans on going to heaven? <laughs> amen, amen. That's really good. Here's the challenge that will take you through this book. How much of your life here on earth, that includes uh, your thoughts, your actions, you know, your deeds, your dreams, all of that, how much of your life here on earth is going to go with you to heaven? Let's look at some differing answers. Very interesting. All right, then we are in the right book. Um, so that's kind of the through point for Peter as he's walking us through this scripture. And the scripture that we're looking at here is no, no matter what, we should be living holy lives. And we're going to define that through this book. Uh, what we're going to be doing is starting in verse 13. But I just want to put this slide up on the screen and it has it as a mindset as we walk through the scripture tonight. What does that word holy mean? You have to know that um, as we're diving into the word over and over. It means to be morally pure and set apart for a purpose. Now, we've talked about this, you know, kind of on repeat through Colossians and Ephesians and Philippians. What does that mean to be holy and to, what does that mean to be set apart? What does that mean to be morally pure? You have to understand that everything that we do is eternal in this particular re uh, respect. Uh, you know, C.S. Lewis says, you have a body, but you are a soul. And so that's why when we make eternal choices, they have eternal consequences. Like you can accept God, and if you accept God as your Savior and you choose him to forgive your sins and receive the gift of uh, uh, eternal life, you have received the consequences of that, right? You say, I follow you from here to heaven. If you reject God, you have an eternal consequence there as well, right? You reject God to the point of hell. And so what we are doing is we are living our lives for eternity starting now. Starting right now, not on our deathbed, not when we get to heaven. We are living for heaven right now because if we are eternal creatures, then we will have an echo of this life into eternity that will look like this. What did we do for the glory of God starting now? Because the glory of God is what came to us and is the glory of God that saved us through his son, Jesus Christ. And by his redemption, we're gonna be looking at the practical tips for holy living. So if you can, uh, join me in verse 13, and we're going to, like I said, take a practical look of what Peter is recommending as a prescription for holy living. Verse 13 says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. So you can see that's Jesus Christ on his second coming, right? So we want to be fully awake, fully alert, living on the hope of the grace that Christ is going to come back and find us living a holy life. A holy God is going to come back and find his holy people living a holy life. Because look at verse 14. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had, look at past tense, when you lived in ignorance. That was before. You were in ignorance. 
That was sin. Sin is ignorance. Transgressions is knowingly breaking the law. Even though I know what I'm supposed to do, I break it anyways. This sin is ignorance. Now that I have been realized that I had a great need for Messiah, I'm now moving away from that, so I'm no longer in ignorance. Look at verse 15. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. That's pretty, that's pretty blatant, isn't it? For it is written, be holy because I am holy. So the uh, first practical tip for holy living tonight is do not conform to the world. Do not conform to the world. This is a message that is coming to you in this particular way. It's a message of preparation. And the reason why he's saying it's a level of preparation is that you made a decision upon hearing Jesus Christ was your savior, like you had a great need, like I am a sinner, I am bound for hell by my deeds, I cannot receive heaven unless those deeds are punished. And were they indeed punished on the cross? Yes, Christ interceded for you. So there was a punishment for your sin. You just didn't have to pay it, right? And so therefore, because the Lord came to you, you received a holy life from him. So he had to decide to go to the cross for you. You had to decide to believe him and receive him, right? So everything here is not based on emotion. Not everything here is based on an experience. Everything is based on reason, really. When you get down to it, I will not get to heaven unless I receive the Savior. So I decided to choose Jesus. Jesus actually decided to choose you. So in this particular level, what we're saying is that the mental preparation for his second coming is this. Be prepared for him to come back by not conforming to the world. Because your mind is actually the battlefield where you make the decisions of whether you're going to be triumphant in Christ or fail in your flesh. That's why the mind has to be alert and open. And so you have to say this, I have to make the decision, am I going to move towards faith in God or fear in my flesh? These are the decisions that we make daily. And if you think about it, Daniel was this way, was he not? When he was brought into captivity, he didn't have that choice, right? He didn't have the choice to be yanked out of his homeland and go as a slave to another country, but he did make decisions about how he was going to live righteously before the Lord, right? He could have easily slipped into a Babylonian way of living, did he not? He did not. He said, no, no, no. What I'm going to decide to do is be true to my Lord. Well, you can't pray. You can only pray to the king. You can't pray to your God. You can pray to him. Well, I'm making the decision to pray to the God that I pray to every day who has kept me safe. Those are all decisions. So he lived set apart even in captivity. So your circumstances don't even get to define how you move forward. That's why Hebrews 12.2, I love this verse. Put it on a lot of post-it notes all around my house, all around my car, especially getting on 95 in the morning. Do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's a decision. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know, that verse is saying you have to decide to move towards transformation. It's not just something that's supernatural and magical. You have to be an active participant in that. Until you live in a transformed life, I want you to understand what God is saying through both First Peter and Hebrews uh, God will not reveal his perfect will to you while you're living in iniquity or if you're living in transgressive sin, right? Because you're not ready to receive because you're not ready to hear. And so you cannot live like the world and expect like the blessings of heaven, right? And so to understand this, God is calling us through this scripture and our patterns of our mind 
to have our behaviors and our beliefs be, you know, parallel. You can't believe in, Je- in Jesus, but your behavior is over here in the world. That doesn't make sense. It's like they have to be counterparts to each other. And when you bring that into balance, my actions and my belief are side by side working towards walking from here to eternity with Christ because I believe Christ and I follow Christ. It's not enough just to believe. You have to follow. Then at that point, you can say, Lord, I am following you into your holiness by your pattern. Guess what? you can now reveal your perfect will. And he will in his time. He will reveal it to you. And then that's why you can see, have you ever had a friend that went through something crazy and they just went ballistic? And then have you ever had another Christian friend that went through something and they seem oddly calm? You know, like the world's crashing around them and they're like, that's okay, it's God. God's got it. And you're like, okay, can you like turn down the Jesus freak peace level? Because you're freaking me out because of how calm you are in this moment. You should be freaking out. You should be pulling your hair out a little bit. And they're like, no, no, for real. I believe Jesus has this. I have, I'm casting all my cares on him. Why? Because it's been revealed to them that God is for them. But the person who is not in that place will not look with spiritual eyes and see God's plan because God is not ready to reveal his will to them. So our lives must be distinct and different from this world and be, they really must be defined by God's holiness. So you go, is my life holy? Well, look at Jesus' life. Is your life not exactly like that, because whose is exactly like that? But is your life patterned after that? Not perfect, but aiming towards that. And see, Christ's holiness must be the thing that doesn't just separate us from the world. It must be the thing that lifts us up from the world. That's why that one person who can say, I think God's got that. You see how their peace transcends this world? It's a peace that passes all understanding. And that's why he says, be holy because I am holy because Christ is separate from this world. He came down from God, from heaven, for a separate use in this world. Everything that Christ did, was it not transcending the world in every single way? I mean, he spoke to non-believers in a way that transcended. He walked into the temple and spoke to Pharisees in a way that transcended their living. Why? Because it was all pointing to a holy heaven. I just kind of want to put this as a perspective on for you. This is why I believe that the Lord is putting this uh, word holy on repeat. You know, if, if we walk through the world and we don't offer the world anything different in the way of living than what the way they're living, then what, what is the advertisement for Christ? Put it in perspective, because you know I'm a food guy, and we're going to go here. This is, this is inevitable. I'm sorry. I tried to come up with another sermon illustration, but it didn't happen. But, and I don't want to divide the church, because this can get really hinky, but uh, I, is there any vanilla ice cream fans in this room? Just plain vanilla? Yeah, okay, whatever, you know. <laughs> That's vanilla. Have you ever just, if you ate vanilla every day for, the, for your entire life, wouldn't you just be like, eh, it's just vanilla? But if you go to the local ice cream shop, they have something called Gator Tracks. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> have you ever gotten Gator Tracks? It's like the kitchen sink is thrown in there, right? So if you're every day, you're just in there. And then, I, you know, whatever you want to do, if there's some Rocky Road fans in here, just put it whatever you Somebody came to me the other day and said, they believe that there'll be bowls of Cherry Garcia from, from Ben and Jerry's all over. And I, I believe them because I like that one too. But I'm going to stick with Gator Tracks. If, if it was vanilla ice cream every day, every day, and then you look over at this person and they have a banana split yeah. with the works, would you be like, whoa, whoa, where did you get that? Why is yours different? Why do you look so much happier than I do? <laughs> well, because I got all the fixing and I got all the works. Why? Because my decisions, my life, my everything is different. I've been blessed from on high. 
That's why we should look different than the world because the whole world is just eating the same thing every day and they know what that looks like. Have you shown them what heaven looks like? Be holy like I am holy. I came to you as a holy God to give you a holy life. Would you receive it? Would you present it? And so that is why the presentation of our life must be holy, but we can't give what we don't have. If we don't have holiness, we can't give holiness. And that is why we must decide to pursue it no matter what. Remember, it's a decision. It's not a feeling. Look at verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent, free, in reverent fear. Isn't that kind of an interesting sentence? Because he's, uh, he's putting it out there. We're not going to be here but for a short time. I do this in youth all the time. I always say to the kids, look at your fingernail. You know, that white part at the end of your finger is your, is your life here on earth. But eternity is the rest of your arm, maybe the rest of your body. Are you living for that little piece of white at the end of your finger? I don't even know what that is. If people get manicures and they know what that is. But are you living for that or are you living for the rest? What's more important? What has more impact? What has more value? And look what he's saying here. Live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear because you're moving on. Look at verse 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life. Some of your translations might say, or conduct. Handed down to you from your ancestors. So it doesn't matter what came before. It matters what you were purchased with. Verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, so that your faith and hope are in God. So our second practical tip for uh, holy living is live in reverent fear of God as exiles. Now let me unpack that. I didn't want to put a huge long paragraph that kept going. You had to keep writing notes. But the reason why we're living as reverent fears in exiles is what I've already said. We are moving from, from this temporary life to an eternal permanent life, and that has far more value, right? But I want you to see how much value God put on it. We would think of like silver and gold as some of the highest elements here on earth that's worth a lot. But he was saying that the blood, the precious blood, of Jesus Christ outweighs that in value because the things that we would hold on to, even the highest value things here on earth uh, that are from earth are temporary. You see, you had an eternal problem and so you needed an eternal solution. That's why the blood of just regular lambs could only temporarily cover your sin. And then an eternal lamb came to heaven and poured out his blood for you. He didn't deserve it, but did he give it? 100%, he bled out. And so you're not bought by any kind of human ceremony. You were bought by the eternal blood of Jesus Christ. And that's why the value on eternity is placed so high. And so you have to think about this in God's standards. Is there anything higher in worth than you covered in the blood of Jesus Christ? No, you've been placed the highest value on you. So why would you live for anything less than that? Once you've now moved into the, uh, the higher value life, the higher value direction, the higher value vision, why would you settle for anything less? If you think about it from a heavenly perspective, it's ludicrous. I want you to see that this was God's plan always. Look at Revelations 13 on the screen. 
It says, and all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world. Stop right there. Your name was written before the foundation of the world was even laid in the book of life of the lamb who was slain. So the name of that book was the lamb who was slain before Jesus Christ even came to earth. The value on you was placed so high that Jesus Christ was already predicted to be slain. And so you think about this. He was chosen to do this before the creation of the world, as it's saying, or the foundation of the world. This was not an improvisation to sin. It wasn't like God was like, here's Adam and Eve. What are they doing? They're already touching the tree? Like, it wasn't like that. And he's like, whoa, 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 what do we got? Do we got plan B? Do we got plan B ready? No, he already had plan B before Adam and Eve even came. Which really, if you look at it, this terms is really plan A. It's always been this particular thing. Sin or the choice or the freedom to choose apart from God has always put you at odds with God because while we were sinning, we were enemies of God. But while we were sinning, he yet still died for us. And so the plan was always to move us away from selfish living and move us into God-centered living because that's what we lost in the garden. Can you just imagine if you could go back in time and Eve has, I don't know, some people would draw it as a pomegranate or an apple or whatever. Like, how hard would you run and just jump in the air and slap that out of her head and be like, no, you have no idea how much you're going to lose. How much you're going to lose. You're going to lose paradise. You're going to lose God. You're going to lose the presence of God. You're going to lose everything. How much higher value is that living than what we have now? What would you trade to go back? Everything, because it's the highest value to be in the presence of God. And so that's what we have to do. And that's why he's saying here, the plan for Christ as our Redeemer was already put in place. And that's why it's revealed to us in these times, because we are now moving into a place post-Jesus Christ. We are open. We are ready to receive the will of God, because what are we doing? We're finally moving into holy living in that way. We have the eternal blood of Jesus Christ on our life. And so our motivation through this scripture is to live in a way that pleases and serves the God that has placed such a high value on us. Our living must transcend what we have here now because we are transcending this world as exiles to go to a better place. Look at verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from your heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed. Look at that word again. It's comparing everything here in this world is temporary. Look at the next part. But of imperishable. The moment you have been born again, you've been born into eternity through the living and enduring word of God. Jesus would say this in John chapter 13. I love that we went through that book earlier. It says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. That means we're in the discipline of holy living under God. If you love one another. Do you see any conditions there? Holy living just comes with loving people with the love of the Lord. It's a decision. It's, the, it's a discipline. You are my disciples. And so that's an interesting way of saying if you are moving through the purifying of your heart by moving into holy living, what is the, that's like, let's say that's the root that's going around the word. What is the fruit? You can see the love of Jesus Christ being poured out of you. What is the fruit that's on the tree? the love of Jesus Christ. So our third practical tip for living is to live out the pure love of the Lord. First, do not conform to the world, 
live in reverent fear as exiles as you are leaving this world, pursuing Jesus Christ, and live out the pure love of the Lord. You know, you really can't walk in sincere love of the Lord without exhibiting it because we serve a genuine and selfless Christ, do we not? Just think of Jesus Christ. I always think about this moment, especially since we went to the book of John, um, of him getting on his hands and knees and washing the feet of the very disciples who in a few hours would reject him, run away from him, deny him, hide. It didn't help him out at all. It's amazing to me that that Jesus, with his heart, would get down and wash their feet knowing what they would do. That is the family that we've been pulled into. Think about that. If, if Christ is, we're co-heirs with Christ, right? We're moving into this place as Jesus Christ pulling us into that family. We're brought into a loving family by a loving God. And so if we are going to be a part of that legacy, we must continue it. We can't come in grumpy and angry and mad at the world into a loving family. It just doesn't work that way. You've been blood-bought and sealed in the Holy Spirit the old you is gone. What is the new you? It's holy living and exhibiting the love of God. What kind of love are we going to experience in heaven? What kind of love are we going to experience in eternity when Jesus is walking among us? I love how Hebrews 4 says this about the word because this is where we can see our versions of what we think love and truth and grace is versus the, the Lord's. It says, for the word of the Lord is alive and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes, and look at that last word, of the heart. Has, has you ever hold up your heart to Christ's heart and immediately be like, okay, let's go with your heart? You know, like uh, any situation, any time. Um, you guys, some know, you know my story with my father, um, my father and I had a falling out after my parents' divorce. We got in fist fights. It was really bad. Um, then he moved to North Carolina. We didn't talk for a long time. And um, I had to teach on forgiveness. And the Lord says, before you even, before you even step into this sermon, I want you to do something. I want you to call your dad. And I was like, how can I forgive him after everything he, and before I could finish the sentence, he was like, how could I forgive you for the lifetime that you put me on the cross? And I was like, okay, let's call him. Like, I was like, eight years just washed away that fast. Why? Because I was now moving in the love of the Lord. I said, I, I, I don't 100% feel it, Lord, but I decide to follow you into this holy living. So if I'm to get up here and tell people to be holy in forgiveness, then I must follow you. And I go, I don't know how this is going to work out, but I, I'm not trusting my heart in this situation. Christ, I'm trusting your heart. And some of you guys know this story. I couldn't get through to him the day that I called him because five times in a row we were calling each other and our, our numbers were coming up busy. I finally said, God, I think this is a sign. I shouldn't talk to him. And I didn't call a sixth time and he called through and he called, he broke through and I said, hey dad, I've been meaning to call you. He goes, I just got out of church. I'm like, you went to church? And he's, yeah, we were in small group and we were talking about this. And he goes, and I really felt like the Lord was telling me I need to ask for your forgiveness. I had to now move into holy living because the Lord was already doing the work on the other side, right? And look what the word of the Lord did. Before I could even go into teaching about forgiveness, the word of the Lord was dividing my heart and cutting out. Yes, I was the victim. Yes, I was, had much to be accounted for. Yes, I needed a lot of healing. Yes, I needed to hear my, my dad say, forgive me and I love you. But where did my heart get started first in the word where the Lord showed me the kind of love I need to show to a person who needed to give forgiveness. It changed the way I saw everything. And that's why it says here, I want you to look in the next uh, 
The next verse here, verse 24. For all people are like grass, and their glory is like the flower of the fields, and the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. You know, on my way to heaven, on my Father's way to heaven, do you know what will not make it to heaven? Our unforgiveness. You know what will echo into eternity? The day that Jesus Christ united a Father and a Son back together. That's a reminder of the power of the word of the Lord. People will fade, but the Lord's work in our heart will remain forever. I want you to see Matthew 24 on the screen. It says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. How many situations, maybe past or you're currently dealing with, are going to be eclipsed? And you know it, you're just in the middle of struggling with it. How many of these situations will be eclipsed by the mighty word of the Lord? You know in the end. It's just, you're just going through it in the motions right now. That's why we bring up this next practical holy living right now. Number four, live out the word of God as you learn it. It's really easy for me to say, live out the word, of the, oh, the word of God, but what if you've only been reading for two days? So you're like, well, I'm playing catch up. Boy, will you wait for me? No, live out the word of God as you learn it. Think about Peter's life. Peter, the very one that we're talking about. How much did Peter have to live out the word of God as he learned it? With the greatest teacher in all of history, Jesus Christ. He says like a billion times, it's not a billion, but I'm just exaggerating, teenager style. He says, I'm gonna go to the cross, I gotta die. And then Peter's like, no, 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 no. We're gonna live forever on this hill together, Jesus. And Jesus is like, what are you talking about? Like, we're going to heaven. Like, we're not gonna set up tabernacles here. We're not gonna, no, 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 we're going to heaven. He's like, no, you will not die. But you know the prophecy, Peter. You know what he said. He had to live out the word of the Lord as he learned it. Then he then Jesus Christ dies, is resurrected. What does Peter go on and do? Does he go on doing the ministry of the Lord even after seeing a resurrected Jesus? No, Jesus had to come back and grab him again. Why? To remind him, no, you're not a fisher of of fish. You're a fisher of men. I need to call you, Peter, feed my sheep. Peter, feed my sheep. Peter, feed my sheep. How many people here have had to have Jesus go, hello, McFly, three times for you to get it? Aren't you glad that God hasn't given up? That's why number four is we must live out the word of God as you learn it. We are leaving a temporary world, going to a permanent world, and we have temporary tendencies, don't we? We have temporary fears, and we're putting them away, but we're deciding to put them away, and we're learning how to trust the word of the Lord to be permanent and eclipse this world and be guided by it and to trust it and to lean on it and not to lean on our own understanding. That's why in Romans 17, it says this. I love this first word, consequently. Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. We must not just be hearers of the word. We must be doers of the word. And this is what authoritative power we're built up on. Look, if the word of God is living bread for our nourishment and his words are the eternal hope that we cling to, right, that we profess, then it just leads us to the point, his very word, right? His very word that will never pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away. But his very word is what we build our lives up on. Are there dead people in this room? And I mean spiritually dead people, people that were lost to sin, people that were bound for hell. Have they been resurrected in Christ because Christ said so? Are there people in this room who were addicted to lifestyles that would not remain in heaven, but God has said the captives have been set free and you believe them and it's true? I can't even begin to tell you how many chains 
have fallen off of me because Jesus said, you are no longer bound. I'll, I'll tell you just this one really quick story. I remember, I, you guys know I used to be addicted to drugs, and I even tried to commit suicide via drugs. I tried to kill myself. But I remember after giving up drugs, I remember I was like, oddly, like, for about two months, I was like, I don't even have, like, a need. Like, you know, I used to have this need or this drive or this desire, but I feel free. But I, I held on to cigarettes for two months. And it was just out of ignorance, you know, I was just maybe habit. But I remember looking at the cigarette in my hand on my way to a young adults meeting. And I was like, wait, 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 I got delivered from everything else, but why do I still need this? But I had an intense desire out of anxiety to grab a cigarette and smoke it. And I asked the Lord, I go, if you don't want this for the rest of my life, Lord, let's, let's stop cold turkey today. And I threw that pack in the trash. I remember washing my hands because I didn't even want the smell on my fingers. And then I walked into the young adults meeting and I walked out and I remember standing there with some people after we had a burger and usually would try to grab a cigarette after I ate something. And I was like, this is crazy. I was like, I was like, guys, it's happening. It's happening right now. God said I would be free of cigarettes. I don't even have a craving. And I've never looked back. But I only say that is this way. If his word is true and you believe it and you lean on it, then you trust it and you follow it. I could have been like, I don't know if it's happening yet. No, he said, you're free. He said, you're free. He said, go and don't, you know, don't look back. Your old life is gone behind you. Let's move forward. And you know what I did? No more drugs, no more cigarettes, no anything. Because he said so. Because he said so. Now, it's not just important that he uttered it. It's the point that I followed him into it. The whole point is that he is in control and that's how I'm living under his authoritative power. If he says I'm free, then I'm free indeed. Look at verse, or, uh, uh, the next verse right here. It says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy. Well, that just sums up everything, doesn't it? Envy and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies that crave spiritual milk, which is talking about the word, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is Good. I just want to remind you, salvation is an event, right, that we walk through. Like I ask for the Lord to come into my life, and then he comes into my life, and things are good. But growing up, maturing, that's a process. The work has just begun. So salvation, you walk through it. Don't expect anybody in this room, don't expect yourself to be perfect overnight, but understand that there's a growing process that moves in there. That's why he says here, don't stay with milk, but like newborn babies, instinctively desire their mother's milk. So, uh, so baby Christians who are just come to the Lord should crave the word of the Lord. He's not just saying that, you know, he's not taking out the idea of we know the story about, you know, sometimes we were on milk and then we moved our way to meat. But what he's saying is that we should consume as we mature, and have you ever noticed uh, as a baby grows, the more he consumes? Joey's only seven years old, and he's standing in the pantry in the morning and going, well, is there anything else? And I'm like, it's just begun. And he's like up here on me. I'm like, the more, I'm like, we got to stop feeding him to my wife. I'm like, he's just going to get more hungry, and he's only going to get bigger, and then he's going to consume more. But is that not the same for us in the Bible? The more that you consume, the more you grow. And the more that you grow, the more that you need to consume. And that's what they're saying right here. You grow and mature. But as you grow in your appetite for the word, you grow in your appetite for Jesus. And then you need something richer and stronger. And this world becomes weaker, weaker, weaker in its satisfaction of your soul. And Jesus Christ becomes stronger, stronger, stronger in the actual nourishment of your soul. That's what he's saying right here. So that's why we put up this fifth uh, holy living uh, practical tip. 
actively get rid of every sinful poison. That's your job. That's a commandment. If you go back and look at that scripture, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit. And once again, we say this, taste and see that the Lord is good. One of the ways is to get rid of the poison is to eat more good stuff and get rid of the bad stuff, right? Like you change your, your taste buds. But it's closer in our thought and in our experience to see how good the Lord is when we experience more of him. Like, ooh, I got a little bit more. I remember the first time um, my son, I just remember we were sitting on a couch and we were watching the news and I had a bottle and I was holding Joey like this. And I remember... I had a bowl of yogurt in the other hand, and I was trying to eat it like this because I had all like honey mixed and I was like doing it for dad, you know, kind of thing. And we're watching the news, and I remember him pushing the bottle out of his way with his little hand, and he grabbed the spoon. And I was like, man, he's really strong for a little baby. And he's like fighting me on it, and he put it in his mouth. And I was like, okay, you had one, that's good. And I put the bowl like this, and I put the bottle back in his face, and he was like, <laughs> like, never again, dad. We're all gonna be eating the same thing together from here on out. And, um, but that's a wonderful challenge that the Lord has put to us. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Move away from the poison of this world and dine on what the Lord has for you. Now, we're going to move into this next section. It says here, the living stone and chosen people. As you come to the Lord, or as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. I want to remind you, if you can hear my voice and you call Jesus Christ your Lord, he's talking to you. Not to Pastor Ryan, not to Pastor Craig, not to me. He's talking to everybody in this room to be a royal, or sorry, holy priesthood. I'm getting ahead of myself there. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in the scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Two things that we can take away from this particular section. The church is like a living house. It's not just a home. It's a living house. And all of us are the spiritual stones that are built on the cornerstone who we know to be Jesus Christ. But the, but the stones as they're built up only take the shape that the cornerstone allows them to take. So our lives, like spiritual sacrifice, must be given to God, built up on God to look like God. We were made in his image for him, for his glory. And so what he's saying right here is that we can lean up against the Lord. And as we lean up against the Lord, what we used to be doesn't really matter because our new life is taking shape in him. That's why it says in the very end, we'll never be put to shame. The old you doesn't really matter. Jesus said, I cast that version of you as far as the east is from the west. How far is that? Pretty far. I cast it in the sea of forgetfulness, you know? And so what he's saying here is this is not a, a, a house of shame or disgrace, but of grace, holy living in grace. That's why in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, love keeps no records of wrong. Christ has offered us grace. Do you realize that God has never come to you and disgraced you? I just think about this. If God really wanted to make me feel bad. Couldn't he? I mean, if he really wanted to shake you up, I mean, I can do that on my own, can't I? So really, if you think about it, any part of Christianity where you might feel down is probably you looking in the mirror and disgracing yourself. But Christ himself bore your shame and guilt on the cross so that you could move away from shame and guilt and move into the grace of his holy living. 
That's why when we look at Christ, he's the perfect balance of grace and truth, is he not? Think of all the people that he came across and were converted by his grace and his truth presented in love. Now look at verse 7. Now to you who believe the stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Um, I'm going to take you through like a little journey through the Bible. Remember in the beginning where it said Jesus Christ was always predestined to be the lamb that was slain and then your name was written in that book? I want you to know how his, his idea as being the cornerstone was over there. Look at Psalms 118 on the screen. It says, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and the Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. And so that's a messianic prophecy in Psalms. But I want you to see how Jesus then references it, and then how he expounds upon it. Look at verse, or Matthew 21 on the screen. And Jesus had said to them, have you ever, have you never read in the scriptures? Don't you love what he says that to Bible scholars? Have you never read in the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Now look at verse 43. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit, holy living. Verse 44, anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And anyone whom it falls, on whom it falls will be crushed. There's two different sides of that last sentence. There's some of us that are in, in the first part where it says, we fall on that stone and we're broken to pieces. That is actually a really good thing. Because when you fell upon Jesus and there was parts of your life that broke off, they broke off for good. They broke off for your good. They broke off because they prevented you in holy living. So to fall upon the stone was a good thing. But if you are not letting those parts fall away from you, then the, the, the stone will fall on you and you will be crushed. And so what he's saying there in verse 44 is to live for holiness is to die to self. We have to take a breaking of our pride to come in low with humility, do we not? And that's what he's saying. It, it takes a broken and contrite heart to move before the Lord because a proud and haughty heart won't listen to the Lord. And I'm going to tell you why. A proud and haughty heart will look down on the Lord. But where does the Lord belong? On the throne in heaven and us kneeling before it. Because that is truth. And that's what he's saying. The people that fall away, the people that stumble, that's because they cannot accept the truth that Christ is king and then follow him. Because what is a kingdom when the followers do not follow the command of the king? It's in rebellion. It's in disrepair. So what's the king going to do? He's going to bring everything back into peace and order. What about the parts that are not in peace and order? Got to drive it out. Got to drive it out. It is not holy. It's not set apart. And that's why we have to understand when you see a verse like this, you can understand that there's going to be no place for arrogance and selfish pride in the kingdom of God. Zero. Can you imagine standing before the Lord in heaven today right now with a list of suggestions or of how things he could improve upon? That's why we have to understand that our pride is the greatest detriment to our growth in maturity. I think it's kind of fascinating as we're going to this section, as we're going through 1 Peter, right, and we're going through Colossians, and some of our Bible studies are even this way, there's a, an extreme focus on growth and maturity before the Lord by deciding that he is king and we are not. In both of those books, I feel like the Lord is speaking to us way. That's why he says that they stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. 
They were destined for it. So if you reject the word of Christ and holy living, you are destined to be crushed by this very stone that you should have been broken upon, right? Reminder of the member of the Pharisees when they caught the lady in adultery and then they dragged her out and then Jesus wrote in the sand and said, you know, if anybody who I hear doesn't have stone, uh, sin, cast the first stone. And they all, they all left, right? And you could say, well, he drove, away, you know, he drove away the accusers, right? And that's the end of the story. But that's not the end of the story. He turns to the woman and says, go and sin no more. Yeah, I've, I've freed you of this hypocrisy. I've freed you of this ridiculous way of lording over you, their self-righteousness, but you are still accountable to holy living. You are now holy, now go live it, is another way to say it. And just think about this, God loved her so much, did he not make her a living stone that day to be built on grace and not disgrace? He didn't disgrace her at all. There's so much balance in truth and grace in the Lord that we should be comfortable falling on the rock of God and letting the bad parts break off. That should be a good thing. But to believers, we are always being broken away from our sin. And we raise, in the end, it might not be comfortable in that moment, but don't we raise our hands and say, hallelujah. How many times have you been freed from your hypocrisy and your sin? And in the end, even though, even though you might have been fighting and arguing with, with the Lord the whole way, kicking and screaming, in the end, you go, thank you, Lord. For now I am living in a way that I didn't see before. I'm now living holy for you. Because look at this. This is what he says in the next part. But you are, verse 9, this is famous. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Isn't that amazing for God to turn to you, a sinner, and say, and now be a royal priest? Not just be a priest, be, be a priest of the, of the kingdom of God. Be a kingly or queenly priest unto me. Doesn't that transcend what we're looking at here in this world? A holy nation, God's special possession. If that doesn't make you feel good about yourself, I don't know. Who am I? I'm God's special possession. You be careful how you talk to me. <laughs> that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his Wonderful light. Once you were not a people, and this is the best part, you are now are the people of God. You were a people of darkness with no claim, and now God claims you, and now you can say, I am his because he has me. Look at the next part. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I just want to let you know as we're closing on this part here, I just want to say these names were normally exclusively used to title Israel, right? It was once a closed circuit group, right? It was the country club of Israel and nobody else could get in. And now that invitation is thrown wide open for anybody that wants to be a living stone built on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, right? And so we were called out of darkness into light. Even that has a higher calling. I want you to see John chapter one on the screen. It says, but as many as received him, how many? As many as we want them, right? To give to them, he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. I love that part right there in the middle where it says, to them he gave power to become the sons of God. If you're in this room and you love how this sounds, but you haven't been exactly living a holy life because you don't feel like you've been able to live a holy life, would tonight you throw yourself on the stone and let the parts of you that are not holy break off? And would you let his power come to you and empower you to walk into holy living? Be holy because I am holy. I came to you to make you holy. I came to make you from an unholy world to a holy world. I came to make you from a merciless world to a world of mercy. I came to take you out of darkness into light. 
We're aiming for heaven. What is the world aiming for? We need to realize that the call of being holy is to take up the mantle of God. We need to put it on. We need to make the decision in heart and action and live it out. I just want to just remind you of this one more time. Ultimately, building our life on the cornerstone of Jesus leads us to an enduring life that the world is looking for. I don't know who I'm talking to right now, but just think about this. If Jesus is over here and the sinner is way over here, and they're looking and they're going, but he's so far away. He's holy and I want to be a part of that. I don't know how to get there. You might not realize it, but your holy living is that bridge between Jesus and them. Because they can look and go, but the golf is too far. I'm not empowered. I'm, I am not on the, I'm, the, I'm going to be crushed by the rock. I know I deserve the wrath of God. But then they look at you. A spiritual sacrifice a living stone that was lifted out of darkness and placed upon Jesus Christ. And they go, but wait, wait, I know his story. I know her story. And God has accepted them and God has lifted them up and God has empowered them. And now God is leading them to the eternal road to heaven because he loves them. And now they're living in that. And now they're living in a way that they're born again. I could do that. There's a lot of bridges in this room that people might not see because we're not fully living out the holy life because we're not making that connection between us and heaven the way that we should. But the world is desperate to see the divine. The world is desperate to see eternal compassion and eternal purpose because they have none of it. But it starts in choosing and deciding to follow Jesus into the holy life that he has called you into, died for, paid for, and rose again for. We in our lives should transcend the world that is dying because we are eternally living. Never underestimate that your life is an awesome billboard to the goodness of Christ because of where you started, but also where you're going to end. So if we can, just closing in, in prayer, I just want to put that first challenge that I put out there in the beginning as we move forward in our prayer time. How much of your life are you taking into heaven? I would say it would be the only the parts where the Lord has blessed it and made it holy. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you and I praise you that you have made us holy. I thank you that you've made us righteous. I thank you that you've given us a good living in you, not apart from you. I, I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, but I don't always live righteous. Today, I just want to make that declaration from my heart to yours. Jesus, I decide to follow you. I choose you as you choose me. Lord, I lay down my life as you laid your life down on the cross. I will become holy. I will get rid of poison. I will not conform to this world. I will live in reverent fear. I am not bound to this world. I am bound to your word, and I'm bound to the path that leads from here to eternity to be with you forever. I am to be made holy because I am to be made eternal, and I'm made to be in your purpose, in your work, in your service. Let my life become a bridge to those who would seek it. Let my life be a bridge that they would say, I can never reach Jesus, but now I see Jesus in that person. I know it could work in me. Let me be the living example of a living stone built on the chief cornerstone. We love you and thank you for picking us. We love you and thank you for what you're about to do. In Jesus' holy name, amen.